Welcome to the Active Listening Podcast. I'm your host, Arianna, and I have the great pleasure in unearthing the stories and thoughts of others. Today you will get to hear from someone I admire very much, and that is my father-in-law, Bill DeVries. He is a strong advocate for grace and sharing the gospel with everyone he meets. He's not afraid of disagreement and loves his family dearly. So join me and listen in as he shares his heart for church and family. Well, welcome to the podcast. I'm very excited to be here with you all today and especially excited to be here with my father-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Dad. I'm really honored to be able to chat with you about church and family. This is a great yeah, well, this is exciting. It's uh, been fun listening to some of the other podcasts and active listening and things people say. It's been very rewarding to and, and enriching to hear yeah. some good things. Yeah. So hopefully I'll have something worthwhile yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you have been a great encourager for Scott and I. So thank you for that. Thank you. So for those who don't know you, share a little bit about yourself. You come from a family of nine kids. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit about that. What was that like? Right. So, yes, I'm number four of nine. There are four boys and five girls. And uh, so relatively large family. I guess part of being a large family is there's lots of things always going on. We lived in a pretty small house. My parents were uh, immigrants from the Netherlands and probably had a fairly hard go at it. Yeah. Just hearing some of the stories that they've talked about. And uh, growing up, I realize now we didn't have lots. We didn't have much, but we had enough and we yeah. had a good time. We lived on a farm for the first number of years of my life and so we would explore and do things boys would do uh, at least us boys would and uh, that was kind of fun and then we moved into a very small house for the size of family it was a tiny house (laughs) so I remember my mom often saying boys outside so we would explore the town and the gorge in our town and and do those kinds of things and uh, it was a a good life we were happy we I was happy I know yeah (laughs) I don't want to speak for the others but I think they were and uh we just had a good life, and even though my parents didn't have much, they didn't, first of all, act poor, and they were very, and are still, mm-hmm. they're still with us in they're their wonderful. 80s <laughs> today, and I even saw them yesterday, very generous with what they have, yes. uh, very helpful, and just a, a model. They care very much about people. Well, their life is about people, yeah. and... uh even yesterday, my dad was just commenting on that, just that there's a steady flow of people in their lives and uh, uh, with the size of family, but also the, their involvement in church, which I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit yep. about here. Yeah. So. And then you went on to have a family of your own, which I am now a part of. You had mm-hmm. six kids and it's a great family to join in with. Oh, thank you. It's been, <laughs> yeah, it's been great to, to have new additions like yourself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So lots of interesting things, lots of people in our lives. I often say even... Uh, thinking about life and the number of people we have in our lives because of a large family, being part, uh, my wife being a lar- part of a large family, having a number of kids and so on, and also uh, being part of a large church community, I often say these days, so many great people, so little time. Yes. <laughs> so. Yes, that quote seems familiar to me from an earlier episode, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, so... You were one of the early families in the church that you previously attended, mm-hmm. um, and you helped to build that church up with your wife, my mom-in-law's mm-hmm. dad, right? right. Um, so what was it like being one of the core families involved there? Yeah, so quick bit of background. Yep. My father-in-law uh, had kind of by accident or unplanned started a small community of believers in their home mm-hmm. and uh, a year or so later my parents our family joined as well and it was very raw at first and and not unorganized they were they were organized but it was it was a a fresh start to a church experience and so yeah we were kind of on the early side of that and my dad was an elder uh, so one of the leaders, of course, my father-in-law now being the pastor there, 
so we were very involved mm -hmm. uh, in all kinds of aspects of the church life or whatever. And as we were growing up, there were, of course, the regular programs, the youth programs and such. And then I guess one of the things I had as an advantage was getting involved in the music yep. a little later on. And so we were just involved in all kinds of things. And uh, I guess part of being early on and my dad being an elder, he was also very concerned about how his family mm -hmm. would serve the Lord. Yeah. Uh, and so the things of the church were important to mm -hmm. him. And I'm going to say he fought for us. <laughs> Uh, in a way that he he wanted to make sure that things were working for us, and there were challenges along the way. We were uh, kind of bucking the trend of religion in those days. Yeah. Uh, our parents had gotten saved; that was the way they would describe it, from a sincere but religious background. And then, uh, so they kind of didn't want to be religious, but that meant there were a lot of unwritten things and things that we would do. And I can see now that some people might have thought we were a bit of a cult. Yeah. <laughs> because of just funny things that we would do that we would, things would happen. But uh, anyways, yeah, it was a good time in lots of ways. There were some challenges, which we might get into. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. And did being one of the first families, core families, someone in leadership, eventually your dad being in leadership, did that shape the way that you viewed church? Well, I guess it was interesting. We Church was sort of kind of like the center of a lot of things, not necessarily the center of all of our lives. Yeah. I think family was the center. Mm -hmm. uh, church was a big part of it. And then, of course, we had our school and our sports or whatever we did. But church was definitely a big part of our experience, life experience. So, uh, of course, a Sunday, but then there were weeknight services and then youth services and things like that. So I guess a lot of things were revolving around church activities. Yeah. Yeah. And then beliefs, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> right. Um, so as your kids have gotten older, you guys actually decided to leave that church and join the church that we're currently at. Mm -hmm. um, what prompted you guys to do that? Wow, that's a that's a big question. It's a bit of a tough one. We had been there for over 30 years and a lot of family there. We were well connected, well involved and very passionate about it. We'd gone through a leadership change, meaning the founding pastor to another pastor and was I was involved in leadership at the time. Found it very interesting to study leadership and the purpose of the church and all these kinds of things, but uh I guess it was it's a little hard to explain for sure, but uh I had a period of probably a year and a half of really restless, sleepless nights, uh, kind of just feeling like, okay, it's time to go. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't like that thought. I didn't want that thought. We were very much taught and encouraged to bloom where you're planted and be yeah. faithful where you are and loyal and all those things. And that was in our heart to, to, to stay and be part of what was happening. But I couldn't shake this thought, it's time to go. And I heard a sermon from uh, another preacher uh, who said, if you've got this thought that you can't shake and it's just in your head. He was speaking about Moses or something. Mm -hmm. yeah, I can't remember the sermon, but I can remember the the, the statement was, if you've got some uh, something that just you can't shake, this thought that you just can't shake, maybe it's the Lord speaking to you. And so we kind of followed that and uh, said, okay, let's move to a different place and let's just go to one place and just commit ourselves there. And that's what we've been doing for the last 15 years at this, I'll call second place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then you have then in turn made this church, your family, right. and your community, which you are very good at doing. And you're very good at um, creating a place where people can feel safe with you and with um, your family. And I really appreciate that, actually, hmm. in that people know that when they talk to Bill, hmm. that it's someone that they can trust. Um, but my next question then is, how have you been purposeful in doing that? How have you been purposeful in creating a space where your kids especially feel safe to come to you with tough questions and mm. thoughts and um, wondering about the universe and their journey and mm -hmm. their place in the world? Like, Because I know Scott has said that a lot, it, that you were someone that he knew that he could talk to about those things without feeling judged or 
Um, and I felt that too. We've had some great conversations mm-hmm. about <laughs> faith and theology and life and everything. And a little passionate once in a while. <laughs> oh yeah, you've taken it in stride, and I'm I'm curious how you've gotten to that point of being able to do that with the hard mm. things. Yeah, so that's interesting and kind of important, actually, in some ways, uh, to to answer that question. I think because, I mean, early, early on, when I was a, a new parent. My dad was gracious enough to pull me aside one time and say, you can't control your kids. Mm. And I was in, a, I guess, a relationship enough with him and in a frame of mind or whatever to receive what he was saying and understand it. Uh, I was going to be the perfect parent with model children, <laughs> and they were going to do exactly what I said, yeah. the way I said it, and all that kind of stuff. And, and he, he he did pull me aside and say, that's not going to work. Yeah. Now, fast forward another 10, 12 years or whatever, and as our kids became young teens, uh, the questions started coming. Why do we believe this? Why do you believe this to me? And uh, I'm not sure I believe that. And questions like that. And I began to, at first, think, uh-oh, these kids are, well, I don't know if that's a rebellious thought or is that a, uh, uh, are they questioning kind of our core beliefs mm. So that maybe they won't land in the same place. Yeah. And what if they, oh, what if they don't believe what we believe? And all these, like all of a sudden these fears started coming for a short time. But then this thought dropped into my head. The one girl who was asking these questions, she doesn't know what you know. She hasn't had time to process what you've processed. Mm. She needs to process this for herself. Yeah. And who better to help her? Meaning, than you. Yeah, than me. Yeah. So when I, when I, to cast those fears aside or set those fears aside and thought in those new terms of, hey, this is not a project, that's not the right word, but this is an opportunity for me as a father to walk through processing what we believe with my kids. Yeah, That changed so many things. And so then the next number of years up till today, literally, <laughs> <laughs> we're asking questions and I guess I don't have the fear that my kids won't land where I've landed, for starters. I'm not worried that they won't love the Lord or follow the Lord. I think a lot of that's pretty solid, and and, uh, the Lord will sort that out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, The other part of it is uh, I've realized in that journey how much I have changed. Mm -hmm. So when Scott would have asked me years ago, what if everything we believe isn't true? Yeah. And I would say, well, Scott, I've thought this through already, and I've come to a place of understanding certain things, so that isn't the way it is. He, uh, well, then I look back on that now and say, okay, there were many things that I would have believed a certain way, even at that time, that I don't believe the same way now. So our faith, our beliefs, our view of things evolves over time. Yes. So that's been really helpful. So I'm not afraid of that. In fact, I would recommend to all parents when their kids start asking questions. Oh, it reminds me of a guy. <laughs> he said to me one time, I, I kind of joke with people once in a while, I say something like, uh, uh, your wife and kids treating you okay or something like that. And this one guy said, oh, my daughter's just driving me up the wall. And I said, what do you mean? He he said, I wish she would just do what I tell her and not, not talk back to me. And I said, how old is she? And he said, 12 years old. I said, buddy, you're going to lose. Hmm. And he looked at me and he said, what do you mean? I said, you can't approach a relationship telling her at 12 years old what to do. Yeah. You're going to lose. What you need to do instead is walk with her. I told the story like I just did earlier. And he said to me, hmm, this was a divine moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> but really, it's if you start off saying, just do what I say, don't ask questions, it's not going to work. Yeah. You know, and so then I also think of going forward when... Uh, teenager ends up let's say in university in psychology 101 i've been in that class mm-hmm. one of the first things they like to do is dismantle everything you believe right and knock it all down yeah well by having the conversations all along then when my kids would get into psychology 101 the questions that they're asking to try to dismantle aren't going to knock the kid down nearly as much because they've thought these things through already. But I do feel for those kids who haven't had a chance to process any of this. They mm-hmm. might have been in a sheltered environment, never asked the questions. They get into those types of scenarios and totally unprepared. Right. And that, I think, is a bit of a tragedy. Yeah. I am curious 
Now, this may be something that's a little bit controversial, though. But if someone in your family or your kids or something like that, close friend, were to ask questions beyond the gospel, do you feel like, how would you handle that? And how would you still have grace for them if they don't seem to be resting in that? If they're still questioning and going beyond that mm-hmm. and still searching and don't really seem to come to a solid place or the same place that you have in in that. Okay, that's good. Like you and I have talked about mm-hmm. uh, certainty. Yes. Um, so I, I have an assurance of faith. Uh, my faith in Jesus is pretty solid. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> I'm not worried I'll lose my salvation or anything yeah. like that. And uh, I've heard people use the term deconstructing quite a bit. Uh, for me, it's not so much deconstructing as maybe dismantling some things or letting certain things go. Uh, I guess um, when when people have Jesus as the solid foundation, the anchor, whatever you want to call it, uh, then I'm not too worried about what they believe they'll all you know they can explore a little bit of things it'll all come back to jesus i mean that's that's really the, the what central if they explore theme. a lot yeah well yeah <laughs> sorry keep going <laughs> so i i guess i'd like to encourage people that well the historical evidence of jesus is pretty solid the that he rose again i think is fairly clear uh people have talked about this and studied this for many, many years, and just much more than I would have ever, for sure. But uh, there's no real explanation for the church other than that there was a resurrection, mm-hmm. which is really the pivotal point to cross and resurrection. But if there had been no resurrection, there would be no story. There would be no Christianity because it would have fizzled out. Mm-hmm. But what was it that caused this whole Christian movement the way back then? the disciples to preach the gospel. What was it? Well, there's no real explanation other than a resurrection. Well, this changes everything. So if somebody would explore lots of different things, I would say that's fine. I mean, everybody's free to explore. But I really think that there is something very real and very powerful and true about a specific message, and that is there was a Jesus. He came for a purpose. The stories of him are true. The resurrection did happen, and that changes everything. And so I'd like to at least help and encourage people to see that, and then from there, everything else can flow. Mm-hmm. So is that, is that, I don't know if that answers yeah. your question, really. Um, ish. So like for the families who would have somebody who, say, is agnostic or atheist, and then some others are Christians, and they're kind of split, how can they still get along as a family? Oh, Oh, yeah, that is very different. I think we need to have love and grace for everybody. I have people in my life who are very different from me, think very differently. I'm thinking like in a work situation, people who are not in a belief system like I'm in, like totally different. But that doesn't change any of my, what what does God's love look like uh, flowing through me in this moment? What does that look like Uh, if that person's Hindu or or agnostic or atheist or whatever, yeah. it makes no difference. These people are all loved God, by God okay. the same as me. Yeah. No matter what people are doing or believing or how they're acting, whatever, God loves them as much as he loves me. Yeah. They are as much his children as I am. Right. So then all I need to do is just love them. Yeah. Are you ever worried that your kids or grandkids may go too far in their questioning? No, um, sometimes some people have asked me that actually, yeah. and I'm not worried because when Jesus is the foundation, we can, let's, let's take an analogy of I'm on this rock mm-hmm. in the middle of the water <laughs> and I've got still a tether to the rock. Yeah. I can jump off the rock and the winds can blow and the waves can beat or whatever, but that rock is still there. Mm-hmm. That's all it. So I'm not too worried about that. I think that we're going to be okay. Yeah. They're going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> so something I've heard you say over the years, especially in regards to things that we don't want to do, <laughs> is to choose your attitude. Mm. Is this something that you still believe 
or do you view it differently now or how has it changed in light of your beliefs? Oh, I see. Yeah. So as a little kid, I would maybe encourage the kid just choose to be happy. Yeah. I, uh, I think there's still a choice to be happy. I think it's okay to acknowledge when we're struggling. Probably would be much more open to that now than I would have then. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a clear answer, like just accept an attitude of defeat or an attitude of confusion or something like that. I think that there's something we can do, but it's not as clear and cut and dried and uh, as clear as it used to be. Right. Because <laughs> I know for some kids that works great mm-hmm. and for others it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And that's part of your personality, but mm-hmm. it's not part of somebody else's. And well, so. <laughs> and personality, you say that we've been uh, as a family learning more about personalities, which is a very helpful thing for me as a parent to have gone through some of that with mm-hmm. the, like the 16 personalities or the Enneagrams yeah. and so on. So to help understand why, let's say, do my kids think differently about certain things or respond differently or, or whatever, uh, then I would, a lot of that is attributed to their personality or my yeah. personality or whatever. So I, I'm much more aware of that now than I had been. (laughs) Right. I feel like that's helped our family a lot, especially in recent years Mm -hmm. of us all being on our own faith journeys Mm -hmm. and learning how to understand each other through that and Mm -hmm. how to ask questions appropriately Right. and what to do when someone responds in a certain way or what have you. It's been very helpful and it's been very helpful for me to understand you better (laughs) because we've had our share of clashes so to speak but we get along super great but i think it's because we understand each other and that's been a very helpful tool or those have been helpful tools to be able to recognize okay where's this coming from why does this person respond this way or act this way or think this way or do these things and a lot of that is because of personality and when we understand that then it's not uh, a question like why don't you do the way i do it like whatever it's okay this makes a lot of sense now we have grace for one another exactly that understanding brings that grace yes and and, uh we can then also be free to be ourselves having said that i do recognize we were talking earlier about my enneagram number eight (laughs) yeah and i was talking with somebody about that today uh where i recognize some of the things of my personality that might come across as either abrasive Mm -hmm. or confrontational or whatever. And uh, so I can work on those things to not necessarily do that or if I do, but to explain why I come across that way. So then it's it's also not only having grace for one another in how they respond, but when I act a certain way or speak a certain way. So I like Mm -hmm. to throw out out confrontational (laughs) or controversial topics. I realize now that's part of my personality. I have to be careful not to just uh, think for some time, come up with a conclusion, throw out that conclusion to somebody and say, here's what I've been thinking. And they just have no context for where did this come yeah. from? So you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And being a strong personality, you're very, I want to say very sure of what you mm. think and believe mm-hmm. and know, and you want other people to share in your experiences because you've experienced something that is wonderful. Mm. And especially in regards to, the gospel and with grace and with your family. You have a great family and you would like other people to be able to experience that to some extent as well. I I've, I feel like mm-hmm. that would be the case. And I know that you have some very strong non-negotiables <laughs> in regards to church and family. So then I'm curious, how have you joined the two? How have you figured out how to care about church and the community there, those in leadership, while also caring very much about your family and not prioritizing one over the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, quite good. Before I go too far down that road, I am very, I guess I want to put out a disclaimer Mm -hmm. to people who are listening. First of all, I am coming from a very traditional family. (laughs) Yes. I'm in a traditional family, meaning, you know, husband, wife, kids kind of thing. And I'm very aware that that isn't necessarily the norm mm-hmm. for people. So we're very privileged. Well, we are. We're privileged. I've been given so much, and I am very grateful for those things. But I do also want to be mindful that uh, with family, it might 
for a lot of people look a little differently from mine. So I don't want to assume or be naive about that. Mm -hmm. So just, just being aware of that. But two, two topics, church and family are, are big topics. Actually, earlier in the year, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to try to spend a whole year not saying the word church. <laughs> Sorry, I messed that up for you. <laughs> and those were maybe, this is maybe uh, one of those controversial things or whatever. But when Jesus said, I will build my church, I've learned from other sources that uh, that word church really should be community. Mm. I'm building my community. I will build my community. And we often, with the word church, think of a building. We often think of a one hour or two hour service or whatever it might yeah. be. And that is what we think of as church. Right. But I don't think that that's what Jesus came to die for. He didn't come and do what he did and then die for us to have a weekend service for an hour, an hour and a half. Yeah. So what did he come for? He came for a community of believers, people who would uh, follow him. And so anyways, I just wanted to clarify that yeah. for a little bit no, in my own good. mind. Yeah. <laughs> then, uh, so family and church, uh, growing up and then with our own family, in some ways they were intertwined. That's, I think, unique and unusual. Mm -hmm. uh, so we certainly did a lot of things as family that were church-related, so we kind of did them together. They kind of were in harmony with each other, and that didn't seem to be a burden to any people, anybody that I know of in the family. But so as that kind of grew and so on, we as a family would be doing these church activities, mm -hmm. but we also realize, or I realize more as time goes on that church activities can often distract us from other things. Mm -hmm. uh, I also want to say that with church and family, if one would trump the other family always trumps church yeah. in my perspective Family always comes first. Uh, I remember my dad years ago as a church leader, as an elder, was responsible also for visiting people and all that. And uh, he has made the comment that he came to a point through different circumstances that he said, I will commit to two evenings maximum per week mm -hmm. for church because we can go too far. But then what you can end up doing is either losing your family, so to speak, alienating them or making them not want to love things about the church or whatever. Uh, so we don't want to do that, I don't think. And then uh, realizing that the church is serving the family. Now, the family can serve in the church, but really mm -hmm. it's the church is for the family. The family comes first. And mm -hmm. I also would say that the family is our first ministry, mm -hmm. so to speak, where what's our responsibility first? It's to those in our family. And then... From there we go yeah. to, to other people, whatever. Well, I remember once a couple of years ago, we wanted to go as a family to the beach <laughs> on a Sunday morning. And you told the leader of the team that you were a part of that you wanted to do that. And you received a bit of flack for that. <laughs> I remember this very vividly. But <laughs> you stood up for the fact that you wanted to spend time with your family. And that actually meant a lot to me <laughs> that you chose that. You said, no, my family matters, and I'm going to set aside this time. Even though it may seem frivolous, family's important. <laughs> so it is. So it is. Family trumps church. Not to say that church community is not also valuable. Because well, it's yeah. different. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So if someone were to come up to you and ask, then, how do I get my kids to like church? Ooh. What would you say? Whoa, that's a loaded question. Um, I don't know if this is helpful. It might be unhelpful, but you might not be able to get your kids to like church. <laughs> and maybe we're asking the wrong question or, yeah. or trying to do the wrong thing there. Uh, there are some people who may never like church if we, if we call church or think of church as that hour, hour and a half service on a weekend at a building with a whole bunch of people packed together and such. That really isn't church. That is a gathering of believers. So that's that that comment about what, trying to avoid the word church. Yeah. I, I don't want to avoid the word church. I'm just trying to think through what this all means. But anyway, so I know people who very much struggle with the 
the closeness of a lot of bodies in the same place and just the uh, overstimulation of sound right. and if the music's louder Again, or coming back louder. to personality type. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, I know for myself that if I was in a church, quote unquote, if, if I was in a church that uh, the music wasn't great, Mm. It would grate on me, <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure I would stay. Yeah. Now, I know that sounds to probably to a lot of people very carnal or uh, unspiritual, mm -hmm. but there are things about, well, I, I guess I'm just a carnal or unspiritual person in that regard. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I guess I understand how some uh, people may have it, may find it difficult. Yeah to enjoy that kind of environment. Uh, I also, ugh, I hate to say it this way, but a lot of churches don't do a very good job <laughs> of of making it uh, enjoyable for people. Mm. And that then makes it so that people aren't interested. So yeah. it, it's a bit of a challenge, a very big challenge actually, for church people to do church well so that it is encouraging mm -hmm. and uplifting uh, I guess part of the challenge there too is what is the message? Is it encouraging, uplifting? A lot of times people come away from a church experience feeling a little more uh, beaten up yeah. or uh, feeling a little more guilty or I got a new uh, bigger task list or something like that. And uh, the way I understand it is we're here to encourage and build mm -hmm. one another up and not to tear each other down. Yeah. So let's, so that could be all part of it. And generally speaking, very few people in the church environment have control over all of that. Mm -hmm. It's a small group of people who are at the leadership, yeah. in the leadership. So it's, it, how can I get, how would somebody get their kid to like church? Could be a difficult task as an organization or a, uh, a weekend service or something like that. So I would encourage people in that situation, um, maybe don't try to get your kids to like church as much as love on them. Mm. Talk about the grace of God. Uh, maybe as time goes on, uh, they will also show the love of God and to others. Mm -hmm. And that's a little bit of what Jesus came to get us to do. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if that's helpful at all. Yeah. Seems like I was rambling. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. Do you have any ideas of how we could do things maybe differently that would be mm. more encouraging? more exciting? I don't know. Well, I don't think that trying to, like, for, let's say somebody doesn't like the weekend yeah. gathering of people. We can try very hard and spend a lot of money and have better lights more and music and more and, and more and more and all these kinds of things. I, I would rather, I would suggest instead that, and those things aren't all bad. Mm-hmm in themselves, like all else being equal, like I said earlier, good music's better than bad. <laughs> but if the message is the gospel, meaning good news, yeah. and it's clearly presented as good news, then I think people will mo much more be encouraged. Right. And if people come and they are encouraged, and this is on a consistent basis that they are encouraged, it will be much more likely that they will want to be there, want to be there, uh, like to be there, mm -hmm. maybe invite others to be there, those mm -hmm. types of things. Uh, so I think the biggest difference, sometimes people have said what this church needs is, and then they fill in the blanks. And if somebody would say, what does this church need, any church? I would say they need the gospel to be clearly presented. The good news, mm -hmm. meaning Jesus came he came to set up a new order. I guess uh, realizing that what he did was set up a new system that is very different from the old, where the old was we are to do certain things to win his favor. Mm -hmm. He said, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. But if you don't, then bad things will happen. But the new order, the new system is very different. He's done all the work. I just rest in what his finished work has done for me. Mm. I don't have to do anything to mm -hmm. win his favor. I've got it for free. 
And that's such good news. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And really, all that is done for me, and that then can prompt me to love others, and that's the gospel Mm -hmm. in a nutshell, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to someone then who's struggling to communicate with their children, especially adult children or friends, about church and faith and doubts and all of that? And then on the flip side, what would you say to someone whose child has maybe left the organized religion of church or whose families have been hurt by the church? Mm -hmm. How can we have grace and share the gospel with Mm -hmm. them? Well, for anybody who's been hurt by the church, I would like to say I'm sorry. Mm. Uh, We often haven't done a good job. We come across judgmental, Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we as church leaders get caught up in our own little world of how we want things to be and lots of times well-meaning and all that but what we do is we end up alienating people or or not recognizing the real need that people have and uh, turning them away uh, because we say hey we want certain behaviors certain ways Mm -hmm. and we're coming across with that expectation maybe that demand you've got to behave a certain way and if you don't you really don't belong Mm -hmm. and when people feel like they don't belong could have been nasty things were said or uh, judgment was felt or whatever uh, I'm just sorry because that's really not the heart of Jesus Mm -hmm. the heart of Jesus is to reach out in love and to accept people in all situations Mm -hmm. so I would say to somebody whose kids have maybe walked away or people have been hurt. Uh, It's not the end of the story. Mm, Yeah. That's one part of it. There's much more that yet that can be written yet and, uh, or, or experienced yet. And the Lord starts working in somebody and he likes to finish what he starts. And so it might not look like what we want it to look like when we, let's say, monitor behavior or monitor attendance at a church service or something Mm -hmm. like that, that might not be what we expect. But I'm not sure that that's the right measuring stick or those are the right metrics to use. Mm -hmm. Uh, God is working behind the scenes. He's working in the hearts of people. And I think a lot of times people will have given up on church, so to speak, but they haven't given up on God or faith or uh, Jesus. Uh, They just don't like the experience of what they've had or people have mistreated them. But I also would say to somebody who has uh, been hurt and and left, whatever, uh, do the best you can, best of your ability, not to hold grudges against people, but even there extend grace to others. We all need to extend grace to one another. And uh, people see in part, do things in uh, moments of insecurity, weakness, whatever it might be. And we got to maybe understand that a little bit too. I don't know. Yeah. So what is it that you love most about church? Well, for sure, the people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what church is, I guess, anyway. The community, the relationships that are built, back to that statement, so many great people, so little time. Uh, An example is I play poker with you guys per week during the winter, and uh, we just play poker, (laughs) and sometimes that's all we'll do. And then there are other times we'll get into deeper discussions or individually, I mean, pairs or whatever, uh, face-to-face or uh, when we're in a group, could be after church service or whatever. We're more connected because of that. And to me, that kind of connection is where it's at, where Mm -hmm. we can just, again, encourage one another and lift each other up and be part of each other's lives. I, I feel very, very, very rich in that if I ever had an issue, a problem, a challenge, and I needed help, Mm -hmm. I could text any one of those guys any time of the day or night, and I know that any and all of them would drop what they're doing to help me. Well, that's powerful. And that's the kind of community that we have to be able to just do life together. That's what I really love about church. Yeah, and that's exactly what I would say too, (laughs) because I also have a community of friends like that, mm. that I know that I can call up for mm. anything yeah. and they'll be there. And that's what makes me love church. <laughs> totally. So then what do you value most about family? Well, actually the same thing. 
my kids won't remember because they were just born and I did it with the grandkids too. When I held them the very first time, each one of them, and looked at them and talked to them, uh, of course they couldn't understand, <laughs> brand new. I, in each case, one of the things I said to them is, you don't know it, but we're going to be friends. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, when we went to this new church, too, years ago, but uh, back then, uh, I said to my wife, these people don't know it, but they're going to be our friends. <laughs> yeah. can't, but the problem is you can't be friends with all, uh, with everybody at the same level. And that's that's the challenge. The, mm -hmm. the plus side is we've got these people in our lives, but the downside is there's too many. Not yeah. not really too many in a, in a bad sense, but you just can't be really, really connected with everybody. So that's just the, the challenge of it all. Yeah, and I know being part of this family, mm -hmm. I appreciate how you have made the time to be with your family mm. and to put in an effort to have those tough conversations that need to be had and mm -hmm. to show us that you care to be with us and to show your love through your actions and not just your words has been very appreciated and has been a great example for us and how to do family well. So thank you. Well, thank you for those kind words. I also realize that I am in progress. Totally, uh, all of us are. Yes. Uh, back to that, I throw out these these confrontational types of things or whatever. I realize sometimes I will say something and then uh, realize maybe that didn't go over very well. And even recently, just uh, being more aware that I want to be cooperative with people rather mm -hmm. than adversarial. Mm -hmm. And sometimes my nature can be, I see something I want different. And so I'll do something or say something and uh, in a way that maybe isn't helpful. So anyway, I'm learning, <laughs> but I do want to be cooperative in and join in with what Jesus is doing. And that is, showing love to people. Some of the things I've uh, been thinking of recently is how can I show the love of God to people in my life? Mm -hmm. What does the love of God look like in this situation? And uh, that's really what I want to model more and more. And uh, to do that in a way that just expresses the heart of God to people. Yeah. So how has your experience with church and faith changed over the years? Well, do you want this to be the short answer or the long answer? <laughs> you can make it as short or as long as you'd like. Just be true to your journey. So I started off in a religious but sincere home. My parents, like I said earlier, joined a church that was much more non-religious. And so that kind of was foundational mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. I was very young at the time. It didn't take long, though, that we ended up having a lot of rules. Many are, were, I guess, unwritten rules about how to live and dress and do music and all these kinds of things, which weren't really helpful mm -hmm. to a lot of people. Uh, but anyways, uh, we also uh, very much studied Christian principles or principles of living from a Christian perspective. Yeah. And that kind of was formative to us. But I didn't realize at the time that actually that wasn't helpful. Mm -hmm. And, well, it was helpful to live a better life in all else being equal. It's good to live a good life than a bad life. <laughs> but it's not Christian necessarily because certain things that we do, let's say good manners or honoring leaders or uh, managing our finances and all these kinds of things are good principles, but they're not necessarily Christian. But we kind of link them together. And it wasn't until fairly recently I read Paul uh, where he said, don't go by human principles that are designed to wear out with use. Uh, so it's not about principles that is our life. I mean, I remember uh, when my kids were getting older, I actually wrote a guidelines for conduct or something for our kids. <laughs> this is all, you know, these kinds of things based oh, yeah. on all these principles. Wow. But I didn't to hand it out or, or share it with anybody because something just didn't sit right, right, but I couldn't quite figure out what it was. Well, fast forward a number of years, quite a number of years, and it wasn't terribly long ago that something changed, and it was based on a sermon that I heard about the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. And growing up, and for many years, I would even memorize the Sermon on the Mount and say, okay, Jesus' teaching is what we're supposed to do. 
uh, live better and all these kinds of things. But when I realized, kind of as I was saying earlier, this new covenant actually takes place at the cross, I realized from hearing that, that Jesus' teachings, Jesus was born under the law, as Paul says, speaking to people also under the law. His teaching was in the Sermon on the Mount telling people, essentially, you know what the law said, that was kind of like a minimum standard, but I'm telling you, and then he would tell people a higher standard. And I thought, that's what I need to live like. But in analyzing it a bit further, he was saying things like, if your hand offends, you cut it off, which we don't do. Uh, if your eye offends, you pluck it out, which mm-hmm. we don't do. <laughs> Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom yeah. of heaven. So, okay, that's probably not very many. And then uh, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. These are all in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. But none of us are doing these things. Right. So... He wasn't actually telling us Christians how to live. He was saying, this is really what God demands. And it's impossible. <laughs> and the Christian life is then impossible, which is the point. Mm-hmm. Now, that sounds like pretty obvious, I guess, in some ways. But to me, it was crucial and pivotal because suddenly, for me, getting the perspective that the cross is when the new covenant starts makes so much of what Jesus taught much clearer. Mm-hmm. My... Beliefs have changed very much from a principles-based sort of Christianity or, or belief system to very much a uh, an understanding or better understanding, I think, mm-hmm. of what really did Jesus accomplish. And when he died and said, it is finished, what was finished? Well, the work of what God needed was done and we are now recipients of that finished work mm-hmm. of Jesus, which is such good news, gospel, yeah. good news, fantastic. Which is good news for the church, oh. and it's good news in our families, and oh. if we are able to talk about these things in our church and in our families, then I feel like that's how we get to have healthy families and healthy churches. Well, for sure, and then... uh Sometimes I get into a conversation with somebody and somebody will say something like, uh, you know, I've been, I haven't been reading my Bible enough. I need to pray more. I need to whatever. And no, you don't no. need to anything. So when somebody in my life will come and say, I'm tired of it. Mm-hmm. Tired of what? Mm. Everything. What do you mean? You're yeah. tired of everything. I'm tired. I, I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. Like I said, I need to love my wife more. I need to, I need to, I need to. No, stop it. Mm-hmm. Stop it already. Because Jesus said, I have come that you may have rest for your souls. Mm-hmm. And what is that rest? That Sabbath rest that Paul talks about is that work is done. We now rest mm-hmm. in the finished work of Jesus. And that is so freeing. And uh, then what does it do? It changes me. His life in me changes me and produces his fruit, Mm. his love. And is church important, family important? They're both very important. Church meaning community. I was thinking just the other day about the nine fruits of the Spirit. So you get things like love and patience and kindness and goodness. Mm -hmm. Now you think about those how many of those are tied into community? Yeah. Things like humility, generosity, all these things are tied to community. And that's, I think, important that we live in community with others and show the love of God in all these things. Yeah. So anyway, that was a yeah. long answer. No, that's... <laughs> Could have gone a lot longer, but still. Totally fine. <laughs> so as I close this, my last question for you is, what words of hope and encouragement can you offer to those who are trying to figure out how family and church can work together and they're not quite sure how to do that yet? Hmm. I guess back to the story isn't over yet. Mm-hmm. There's there's lots to be written. I think the, the thing too is to realize we're all in a journey together, as I mentioned earlier, maybe process together, uh, allow people to think differently, mm-hmm. uh, to encourage people to think differently and express that. So in the family environment, like I was saying with the teenagers, to have these questions, allow these questions, to process these questions together and uh, 
I hope that the church can do the same thing where we're just allowed to and encouraged to let's let's share. We don't have to agree, but we all love one another. And so I'd like to uh, encourage people. The church might not look the same as what you expect it to look like or what it looks like now might look differently in the future. But it's not about the church service or the attendance on a Sunday. I think that's important. It's more are we being the church? Are we loving one another? Are we living the life that Jesus wants us to live, which is reaching out to others, encouraging one another? And that can take so many different forms. And uh, I think we can be creative in doing that. So that would be a kind of encouragement to them, I suppose. <laughs> well, thank you for mm-hmm. chatting with me today, sharing Thanks. your heart, sharing your journey. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I know that a lot of people look up to you, me included for a pillar, so to speak, of faith and family. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Now you know, if you didn't before, how strongly Bill's heart beats for those in his world to hear the true message of grace. Grace in our homes and in our churches. Rest for your soul and freedom from striving. Good news for everyone in every season, walk of life, demographic, country, whether you have a large family or small, wealthy or just barely making ends meet. The gospel is not prejudiced and is not only for the privileged. It is love and it is for everyone. That is what Bill wants people to know and understand so deeply, especially in our churches and in our families, the places where we have community and are with people and in relationship. Just a reminder, we may not always share the same viewpoints or opinions as our guests, but our desire is for people to feel safe to join us at the table and on this journey of life together. I may not come to the same conclusions on everything Bill has. I know for a fact we haven't. And you might not either. But at least we can come together and bridge the divide with grace. My desire is to share the perspectives and stories of others while encouraging you to think for yourself and stir up good conversations. And while we're at it, may we continue to love well. If you have any questions or comments on this episode, or need further clarification on anything you've heard, please don't hesitate to reach out in person or contact us at activelistening.life at gmail.com. And reviews on iTunes are always welcome. Thanks for listening.